Welcome back to the Talent Cast. Uh, it's been more than a year since last we've officially published. We've had a couple of interim-y little things, some lost interviews, uh, you know, what employer brand wants sort of situation. But it's been a solid year since the first four-year run of the Talent Cast, which I guess now we're calling Season 1, which is strange because Season 1 had a four-year run. Season 2 will have at least six months, but we don't know what's going on beyond that. Uh, I really only meant to take a short hiatus, a small break, break in, in things, and it just kind of went crazy. The newsletter took off, and for those of you who don't subscribe, it's employerbrand.news, or just go Google employer brand headlines. It should be there somewhere. Uh, it's a Substack newsletter, but don't let that scare you. I'm not charging anybody anything. It's 100% free. It drops everybody's inbox every Monday, but that kind of took up a lot of my time, my my, fr- my spare time, such as that was. So the, the podcast kind of sat in the, in the back seat, but here we are with season two, and season two is going to be a little special um, in that it's completely different from, well, maybe not completely different. It's a little different from season one in that it's an audiobook of Talent Chooses You. Now, some people have actually clamored for people, for me, I guess, to do an audiobook of Talent Chooses You. I don't know why. I feel like I talk a lot already. Why ask for more? But here we are, and it got, you know... I, I had been bouncing this idea around in a while, maybe I should, and I didn't want to kind of just start it to do it for the sake of doing it. And so I, things just kind of lined up where uh, this season of the Talent Cast will be sponsored, and I've never done sponsorship like this before, so this is weird and new for me, so I'm thrilled to do it, but at the same time, it's all brand new, so I may mess this all up. But, you know, then again, here we are. Um, the entire season... The entire audiobook, which will be run over the next six months, is brought to you by RecruitmentMarketing.com. It's a community for recruitment marketing professionals. Um, So go to RecruitmentMarketing.com to take a look, see what's going on. Uh, Maybe you want to join in. Maybe you want to be a part of it. But they are sponsoring this whole ebook, and so over the next six months, I will be dropping weekly chunks, serial, serializing, uh, a la Dickens, I guess, if Dickens had a podcast and a book and a microphone, all of which to be untrue. Well, maybe that threw up. Um, we're serializing the book, and so this way, we're making it available to you for free, but if you're the kind of person who prefers to hear me say it, then write it down on a piece of paper. Here we are. So we're going to do this as an audiobook. This is a weird process. I've never read my own stuff out loud. I've tested this process. I think I sound like an idiot, but then again, (laughs) I always think I sound like an idiot. Anyway, here we go. Welcome to the Talent Cast Season 2, Talent Chooses You Audiobook 2.0, The Sequel, The Revenge, The Return, The Son Of. Here we go. So there's going to be some changes. This is going to be maybe not an annotated version of the book, but I'm going to skip stuff that doesn't matter. And I'm definitely not going to do the interviews because I could never do uh, my amazing subjects of these interviews justice. Um, and I don't have audio for all of them. So we're going to skip that part. But we're going to start with this. And the purpose of this book has always been simple. Really just stop having the same having the same arguments all the time. Really? I mean, stop having the same, what should I do here? And how do I solve this problem? And it feels like since none of us have ever been from an employer brand background, because no such thing truly exists, uh, we come from recruiting backgrounds or marketing backgrounds, university recruiting backgrounds, and we're all figuring this stuff out at the same time, which means very often we all seem to come to the same questions at the same time, except we don't do it at the same time because the person who started a year after you is there just hitting the same questions you answered last year. 
And while there's a lot of forums and Facebook groups out there who, you know, try to collect some of that information, I keep seeing the same questions over and over again and have for years. So this isn't just a one-time thing. So I kind of just dumped all my thinking into this book. As of this moment, as of recording, which is the last day of of December 2021, this will get launched in a couple weeks, um, this book is effectively three years old. I started writing this a little more than three years ago. There was a six-week gap in my life. I just dumped everything I had, and it became 80, 85% of the text. It was just, bah, there it all is. And that's really what it's about. And in, in the meantime, I've certainly, well, I won't say I've gotten better. I won't, I won't presume that. But certainly on some things, my thinking has definitely changed. And so this isn't just going to be me reading the book, though, because I don't, honestly, who wants that? Who actually asked for that? It's going to be me reading the book and annotating, right? It's going to it's gonna be adjusted. And as I throw in new ideas or as I come across stuff I wrote three years ago that I was like, oh, I don't believe that anymore. Or, ooh, yeah, that's true, except for when this happens. And I'm going to try and fill in some gaps and add some stuff to it. So even if you've read the book, maybe there's value in this podcast. Uh, if you want to follow along with what I'm doing, you can always go to the digital edition of the book, the open source version. Just go to employerbrandbook.com. It's all right there. So here's the deal. Um, yeah, I'm going to start with the quotes. I have I started with three quotes. And boy, by the way, if you're writing a book, you learn some weird things, such as I could not quote lyrics to a song or another piece of art. Otherwise, I'd have to pay a whole lot of money for that stuff. And... Uh, you know, I like David Byrne, but I didn't feel like dropping five grand on him to, to quote um, something from Stop Making Sense. But here we are. So the three quotes are very simple. Birds born in a cage think flying is an illness. This is from Alejandro Jodorowsky. He is an artist and a writer and a filmmaker of some repute. He's just an arty guy. And, you know, this is a line I read once and I was just like, oh, wow. You know, for it's, it's the kind of arty way of saying the, <laughs> don't tell someone who's doing it that they can't be done, right? Um, that, you know, if you're trying new things and, and being an employer brander is nothing but a lef, you know, lesson in trying new things, be prepared for other people to think you're doing weird things. And that's just fine. That's just kind of how the job is. The second quote is Cindy Gallup, who is in my personal Mount Rushmore. Uh, she is phenomenal. You should definitely read more about her. Uh, her quote is, too many people believe the future is something that happens and just rolls over them in, in their wake. Uh, this is the opposite side of the coin of Andy Warhol's quote about, and I'm going to butcher this because I don't know it off the top of my head, which is, um, people think change happens when it turns out you have to make it happen. <laughs> I think those two things go hand in hand. Finally, artist Chuck Close, uh, who no long, is no longer with us, um, inspiration is for amateurs. The rest of us just show up and get to work. And frankly, if I could have that tattooed on my arm, I probably would. Uh, not to say that I can't. I just haven't gotten tattoos in a long time. So here we are. So the preface of this is, who is what is this book trying to accomplish? Who is it for? And we start off with a simple idea that recruiting is a mess. And if you disagree with that idea, just turn around and ask for your proverbial money back. If you think that recruiting is done well and effectively, then, you know, this is not going to be useful for you. We're not going to have a lot to talk about. Because what worked 10, 20, 50 years ago is still being practiced as the current state of the profession, right? Collecting resumes by the dozens or the hundreds, waiting weeks to contact candidates, sending mass thanks but no thanks letters months afterwards, assuming you know you don't just flat out ghost them, offering zero feedback after coming in for an interview, searching in vain for purple squirrels that never exist, and you know all the rest of the recruiting's bad habits. Um, these things aren't cutting it anymore. 
frankly, I don't even know if they, they worked well 30, 40, 50 years ago, but they definitely don't work now. And honestly, if you needed me to tell you that, you have not been paying attention. Welcome to the modern era. You know, grab a phone and a helmet because it's going to get crazy. By the way, wrote that three years ago. Uh, paging grand re- great resignation. Is that still true? Only more so. Yes, exactly. Competition for talent is growing. Um, <laughs> that is the nicest way to put that. The business is screaming and usually at you. Leadership demands results. No one believes your data, assuming you can even get vendors to provide anything that pass any kind of sniff test on data. But rather than look for brand new solutions, recruiters think only in terms of recruiting. Uh, They look to add bodies. They look to add tools to do what they've always done just a little faster with fewer clicks. Little, you know, they they take a, to quote Katrina, uh, Katrina Kibben, they make a train wreck a little faster, right? That's the that's the enhancement. They may, <laughs> that's not really great, but making something that isn't particularly effective work a little faster isn't the answer. Focusing and endeavoring to build a slightly better landline in a world of smartphones, not going to cut it. The reckoning is here. What worked before just no longer works. The writing's on the wall, and it's also on the ATS and the job board and the resume warehouse ad infinitum. Change or get crushed. In the face of these dire kind of predictions or horizons, there is a solution, right? You can use something to create the necessary change within the organization before you get crushed. Depending on how much you embrace it, it might even help you hire better talent faster. It might help you retain them longer. Employer brand is a way of looking at your hiring issues and as, as you know, how is it going to be the engine that fuels change? Right? How is it going to change recruitment, marketing, HR, leadership for the next decade? Businesses that embrace employer brand will absolutely be able to fill their talent needs faster and cheaper and will start gobbling up market share from those who still apply that horse and buggy thinking in a Tesla world. A little asterisk there. I have no interest in Elon Musk whatsoever. I think he's mostly kind of a yutz, um, and that's a nice way to put that, and he should pay his dang taxes. But I will say the Tesla is a pretty phenomenal automobile. Um, No, you should not put video games in it. I don't know who thought that was a good idea, but uh, I think it's a good example, you know, relative to a horse and buggy thinking. So no no, uh, promotion for Tesla is needed, but here you are. I'm just kind of putting a little asterisk on that. But ultimately, the choice is yours. More than anything, this is a philosophy book. And I really wish I had underlined that even more so at the time. I think people, you know, were looking for that kind of checkbox, you know, self-help, paint by numbers, you know, how to one, two, three, you know, this is how to learn to dance by pictures kind of situation um, on how to do that employer brand stuff. But that's not going to work. And it's never, it never has worked. And here's the situation. What I know in my job or jobs, depending on how you want to look at it, and what you are learning in your job is going to be different. You cannot simply take what I do on a daily basis and apply it to another company. It doesn't work that way. It won't fly. You really need to think about your situation. This isn't so much about here are the 17 tactics. You know, we got plenty of tactics. Uh, frankly, the reason you got your job is probably because you could do some of these tactics. You came in as a social media manager or you came in with some recruiting knowledge or some recruiting ops knowledge or you came in knowing how to write an article or something. I don't have to tell you how to do the tactical stuff. 
The trick is how do you see the world in employer brand lenses so that you can know how and when and why to apply those tactics in a way that do good, that are effective relative to who you are, right? It's not, you know, you can't just say do the thing, step one, step two. You have to kind of look at the lay of the land and say, how do I think through this problem? So what this is all about is a change in mindset. It's a change in perspective to see the bigger picture, bigger than just recruiting or talent acquisition. It's about a philosophy. It's about a new outlook. And with it, you're going to be able to see new value in everything you already have and the tactics you already use, right? I'm not saying you have to go make videos. If you have video, here's how to use the videos. Here's how to think through and look at those videos to say what part of them really work and which part of them don't. How do I use them? How do I maximize them? How do I use them 12 ways instead of just using them once and being done with it? That's really what we're doing here, right? You know, you have better conversations about how and when to use these tactics and a whole framework to help you evaluate their potential. Ultimately, it's another way of saying you need to think through this stuff on your own. (laughs) <laughs> I cannot do your thinking for you. And nor should I. That's that's I get paid to do that someplace. You get paid to do that your place. But this book will help you kind of, you know, think that through. I wrote it as an employer brand professional. A pract, you know, a practitioner in the arts of using branding as a mean by changing other people's minds. And by the way, that is what we do. Marketers and branders are there to influence and change other people's minds. Even if it's just to say buy shrimp instead of beef, even if it's to buy a Ford instead of a Tesla, we are here to do mind control in a weird, 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 and hopefully deeply ethical kind of way. Right? I'm a firm believer that anybody smart enough to try to read this book or hear this book is smart enough to make massive impacts in their own business, provided they have the right way of seeing things in front of them, right? So let's go on this journey of change. This is really the process. And for you listeners, I'm not going to go over the thank yous, but there, because there's so, so, so many people to thank. Um, again, it's all in the text to go over to employerbrandbook.com. Um, and I'm not going to talk about the interviews much. And honestly, there's a whole note to British readers. I'm just going to say this. I know that employer brand is not something I invented. It's not something the Americans invented. It's the It's a British thing and we stole it and we're trying our best to make it better, right? It's kind of like when um, we made the blues and the Brits stole it and made the Beatles and we stole, and, you know, and the Stones and, and the Kinks and we stole that back and, you know, and made our own thing. This is a process of back and forth. And what we bring to the table is good and valuable and what they bring to the table is good and valuable. This is a, not a, the Brits suck and they did it wrong. This is a, look, it's You invented it, it's time for us to take it and drive it for a bit and there'll be a time in the not too distant future in which you take it back and take it two more steps forward and I look forward to that. Uh, But I just wanted to kind of parse that note a little bit. But we begin with the first section which is simply reinvent your hiring. I remain stunned. This is true three years ago and it's true now by the number of people who still, still need it explained to them how bad hiring has become. I go on podcasts. I go on webinars. I've... I still have to explain it. People are so used to thinking this is how hiring works that they think this is how the best way to do hiring, that this is somehow optimal. But look around. Neither the recruiter, the hiring manager, and definitely not the candidate actually enjoy 
any part of this process. Every party involved in this process holds their nose and see it as an, an evil, best avoided or gamed, right? That's, this is not an optimal system by any stretch. This is whatever the inverse of the optimal is. It is the, it is the worst possible worlds in many, many regards. It's broken. It's just broken. But this is the broken system with which we expect to bring in people who make our company our company, right? I'm, I'm going to go ahead and start here, right here. You know, anybody who says, you know, the, the people who say people are our best assets, they do not understand what they're talking about. There is no company without people. There is, there is no, a company is a legal concept. <laughs> that is all it is. And it is filled with the people who do the stuff. You take away the legal concept, the people are still going to do the stuff. You take away the people, the com- the concept that doing stuff doesn't exist. It just kind of evaporates. There is no business without the people. But the way we do it, it's almost a wonder as if anybody ever gets a job ever. You know, you got to pop the hood and see how bad the engine is. That's how we're going to fix it. And that's what we're going to do. And by the way, to anybody offended because they see themselves in this process and they further this broken system, and I don't care if you're a recruiter or a recruitment leader or you sell technological platforms for recruitment leaders or you are an ops person or you're an employer brander or an HR person or I don't care. Everybody has a role in this broken system. And while I have a little bit of empathy for how your life sucks in many regards, it's only a little bit, right? Yeah, one person can't make a huge change, but without that one person trying, nothing gets done. We can't accept this as okay. We can't accept this. And as as someone who recently went through a full-blown job search, I'm going to tell you, this wasn't just an idea I had three years ago. This has been true for years and continues to be true up until just two months ago. This is an abstract. It's still flipping broken. And you're trying to do so much with it. Let's change it. That's really what we're here to do. I promise there's a better world on the other side. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you, and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts. Chapter 1. The modern world of hiring is broken. Now, I'll go ahead and take a little tangent here. Uh, Katrina Collier, who I adore and whose book, Robot Proof Recruiter, is um, a must-read, right, is the handbook for recruiting. I'm just going to put it out there, uh, the handbook. And she's writing a second version of it. It's great. I, I'm, I'm super pumped to hear, uh, to see what she's going to put in the second version because the first one was so good. 
Um, she likes to say that recruiting isn't broken. It is, but we are quibbling and we're seeing it from different points of view. I just like to take this opportunity to say hi, Katrina. Um, you, I remain a huge, huge, huge fan, even though you are a world away. And, uh, you know, there you go. We don't get the chance to see each other. Anyway, it's all broken. But we start with this idea that, you know, it's all about talent. And talent's a funny word. We use it a lot. It's it's one of those words like strategy <laughs> or innovation or culture, oh God, um, in which we use it, but we don't really define it very well. And we just all kind of use it as a blanket term. And that's not what we want to do here. Um, but I want to start with this idea that we all assume we want better talent, but do we? And here's where I'm going to break stuff down a little bit. I want to make it very clear that, look, it's okay to not want major talent in every single role, every single role you have. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, some roles simply can't justify the expenditure, the, the the cost of bringing in great talent. But some roles, that is how you make the company go from good to great by putting star players, by putting wonderful experts in the space and not just someone who's okay. But we have to kind of break things down a little bit, right? Um, not every level of talent your business needs is the most necessary, right? You don't have to have the best players at every run. But um, but the kind of talent you want will determine 80% of your talent strategy. So if you are looking to hire cogs, if you're if you're running a um, and, and I hate to be pejorative about this, but it's too easy to do. And maybe that's maybe I should stop doing. It, but here we are, uh, you know, the burger flippers of the world, right? The people who are cogs in the machine. These are the roles that are just they're automated. They're just waiting for the robot to show up. You know, it's it's staffed by robots who have social security numbers at the moment. Right. If you go to McDonald's or a Burger King or a Taco Bell or whatever, nobody here is using their creativity. What they're doing is doing the things they were told to do um, in a set process, in a set time frame. You don't overcook the burger. You let the burgers go a certain number of seconds. You flip the burger over. You do it another certain seconds. You sprinkle the, the seasoning on. You put it on the thing. It is ba, 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 ba. It is programmed. It's just a person being the, the programmed. Right. We don't put great people in that role because if you put the world's greatest burger flipper in that role, it doesn't actually enhance the process, right? Great talent burger flippers should go start their own restaurant. And by the way, there's a great one in Chicago. Happy to talk to you about it. Anyway, hey, Oshaval, you have the amazing, most amazing burgers and I didn't get paid for this, but there you are. Um, but putting an amazing burger, putting a chef, putting a Gordon Ramsay at a McDonald's doesn't make the burger better because they have to follow the rules. That is the kind of talent we're not talking about. But we are talking about talent who can change your business, who can elevate things, right? If you can define talent a bunch of different ways, but really at its best, it's, you know, that way you value one person over another. And that value comes from their experience, their skill set, their education, their attitude, their aptitude, their personality, what they're certified in, you know, who they know. You can see that maybe person A is 20% more valuable than person B based on those things, and thus you desire person A more. And in fact, you might even be willing to pay person A more than B for the same role because you know they bring more value. But if your world is where talent is a euphemism for commoditized robots, then don't worry about this part, right? If you are the burger flipper, your process is very different because to you, the haystack model of, you know, find a bigger haystack, you'll make more needles kind of situation is perfectly appropriate, 
right? If you were just looking for people who can meet spec, who can meet the base needs of can they, can they watch the clock and when the clock beeps, no, if the next step of this process is to flip the burger and then season it, that's good enough. You don't care if they have a college degree. You don't care. I mean, maybe you do or don't care that they're felons and we could have a whole conversation about that, but you don't need to know that they've, they're certified or they went to the Culinary Institute of America. You don't need to know where they did stages. You don't need to know any of that stuff. Are they good enough? Yes. Hire them. Next. For the rest of us, talent like that isn't binary, right? It's not about good enough or not good enough. It's layers and levels. Talent occurs across a spectrum and has a lot of different facets. And so for the purpose of this longer conversation, we're going to keep things a little more simple, right? We're going to start with this. Here are your t start with your top tier talent. These are your A players, right? These are the best of the best. These are the experts. These are the people who not only help you do the job, but know how to say, you know what? We could do this better, or we can expand the role, or we can reinvent this role to create opportunities for the business, right? If you are hiring a writer who's a great writer and they get the job done, that is great. But if they also have experience writing for other formats or working with other industries to say, hey, here's how we bring in scripting thinking so that the, what I'm writing can also turn into a film script. Suddenly, that person's much more valuable, right? They're the ones who push the boundaries, who take the risks. They're the ones who try new things beyond what perhaps others are comfortable with, but they're the game changers and that's how one changes a game. These are the people who are the most talented by any measure and thus more desirable. And all things being equal, you would much rather hire nothing but A players rather than B or C players, simply because putting an A player in a role gives that role a chance to grow and do things that you never thought of, which means it gives the business a chance to grow and do things it never thought of. Now, the second tier talent, your, your B players, there's nothing wrong with them. They're really good at their job. They work to expand their skill sets. They are not lazy. They really are good at identifying ways of finding efficiency, adopting to new ideas as, you know, as things are changing or they're, as, as they're introduced. They're engaged with the work itself and they're willing to go deep. They're willing to try. They're willing to experiment provided they don't have to invent that path moving forward, right? If you say, hey, I saw this thing, you want to try it? They'll say, sure, let's give that a shot. But they're not the ones going, here's seven different ways we could blow this system up and try it from scratch. Frankly, most of your best talent are these kind of people. They do great work, but they're not trying to turn you into the next Google or Netflix or Tesla or whatever. They want better, but incrementally. Right? They know how to make you 3% better. They don't know how to make you 3x better. They're not going to upset the apple cart to make some magic happen because they don't trust how to make that ha magic happen. They're very incremental, which is fantastic. You want people who push and keep making the world better and making the job better. But let's not confuse A players for B players. That said, that said, each one of these um, you know, are people you would rather have over C players. Now, C players are more commoditized talent. They do the job, but they're not going to get engaged. They're not going to change the game. They're not even going to try and grow, right? They do what they're told. To them, a job is a job, and they take just enough pride in it to not be bad at it, but uh, they aren't staying extra hours without a bribe or a reward or a threat, right? They're not here to make the business grow. They're here to do a job. Their intrinsic motivation isn't something you can really tap into. 
all companies have a lot of these people, and that is both good and bad news. It's good because, well, you get you've got to fill the roles, and that you know things get done. You know, there's value in them. I don't talk about them as C players as if we should be mocking them and calling them bad. It's they do the job. They just don't know how to do more than the job. The trick is they do their job enough that you can't fire them, right? You can't replace them easily. They're doing well enough. They're middle, they're the mushy middle of talent. The people who are at the bottom then, you know how to fire, you know how to get rid of them and rehire new people. People who are kind of just clogging up the middle to do their job, the people who aren't engaged, that's where the real trick is. You have to kind of know what to do with them or figure out how do you move the game such that they either say, eh, I'm, I'm not into this anymore, or they know how to become more engaged and push themselves a bit. So anyway, why even bother defining these concepts of talent? Well, because I'm going to assume that you know that A players are A players, right? You know who they are. They already know who they are. They already know their value, right? You can't just say, I'm going to put a wreck up into the world and hope that the best of the best show up. You don't put a wreck that says wanted talk show uh, host and hope that Oprah shows up, right? Oprah's Oprah. <laughs> Oprah doesn't go looking for jobs. Jobs go looking for Oprah, Right, And not only that, they don't go say, we have this job. What you do to Oprah is you say, look, based on your unique skill sets and your unique experiences and the audience and networks that you've built, here's an idea. We think tap into all those things in a way that you've never had tapped into and add value to you. Which, by the way, is how every job posting should be written if this was a perfect world. Just side note. <laughs> but they're not. Anyway. You, you can't expect these diamonds in the rough to show up. There was a time 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago that because there was no internet and because there was no way of saying if you were a great accountant who was mind-blowing but you lived in Oklahoma, you may not have realized that you were one of the best accountants in the world or in the country or even in Oklahoma and that you could be a game changer. You kind of lived in your own silo and the business was there to say, okay, we've seen 10 other accountants. Whoa, she is amazing, but she doesn't know how good she is. We got lucky. We're going to hire a dime in the rough. That does not happen anymore. The internet kind of made that go away. People know their value. They know what they're worth generally. Their whole platforms and tools designed to help people go, yep, this is what you're worth. This is what you should ask for, or this is what the standard is. And when you say, when you bring in new ideas, that's not normal, but in a good way, right? That's, that's exceptional. We, we want you to be positive with that. <sighs> the trick is, of course, I don't think your hiring managers get that. At least a lot of the ones I've interacted with don't. Some of them do, and it's great, but a lot of them don't. A lot of them think you write a boring job rec, you post it and put it on as many job boards as possible, and somehow amazing talent shows up. But you and I know that that amazing talent is not trolling job boards, they're not looking for a thing. When they go looking for a job, they build, they tap their network. They engage. Now, it's not 100% certain, and I know of a very particular case, instance where top talent does occasionally troll job boards, but that's a rare, rare, rare situation. If you want to hire someone, great. If it's worth it to you in the business to hire A and B level talent because you know how to use that talent, where you can see how that talent grows the business, you got to offer something valuable to them. 
you've got to think through this process differently. You can't just say, hey, everybody go through the same door, use the same process. It's fine for everybody because that process was designed to hire your C-level people. They were That process was designed around filling a pipeline at the top of a funnel you know, to, to build a better haystack when really what you're looking for is a needle. And frankly, you're not just looking for a needle, you're looking for a special needle. That's a different kind of thing. The whole post and pray, the whole casting a wide net doesn't resonate with someone who knows how good they are. They can choose to ignore you and your recruiters. And by the way, they do. They aren't your employees. They're your salaried volunteers. So I've kind of had this idea and I've talked about it a lot over time. Um, and no one has pushed back on it yet, which surprises me because I usually get a lot of good pushback. Um, and it's this idea that no one actually works at a job anymore. There's no such thing as jobs. Jobs don't exist. Jobs were a thing where um, you could package up a set of expectations and tasks and apply a salary and say, who can fill this role? They fill the role, they do the task, they do the job, and they go home. But I don't know that role anymore. There are roles, there are careers, there are expectations, there are uh, uh, all sorts of things, but calling it a job, I, I don't know, right? And when there are more open roles than people to fill those roles, there's no stigma to job hopping, if that's even a term anymore, right? That, that's the thing that always boggles me is that we, you know, businesses always go, oh, they're a job hopper, but the game is incentivized to ask people to hop more. You make more money when you hop jobs. The loyalty cost is real, right? You know, I've seen dozens, dozens of instances uh, where the business won't give someone a 5% raise, they quit. So the business is forced to go rehire the role at a 10% premium because that's what the cost of the job is now. They could have saved a whole lot of money if they gave that person a 5% raise. Heck, they could have had a, a, a loyal person for life if they gave them the 10% raise, but God forbid they ever do that, right? But that's the, that's the incentives. But businesses don't get that. Anyway, because um, it used to be that hiring, having, or just having the job was power. Managers could demand, hey, everybody, this is what you do. This is what we expect. We're going to dictate the entire terms of engagement, which is how you should format your resume and how you should get dressed when you show up for an interview. Um, hey, you're going to be totally cool that we're going to keep you in the dark at all times, the entire process. We're going to make you wait quietly and occasionally someone will let you know if you're getting an offer. That's the expectation. But that's nuts. Once you realize that you're not hiring commoditized talent, would you go through that process? Would you willingly go through that process? If you were an A player, would you say, yeah, that sounds like a great way to just kick my ego right in the happies and, you know, make myself worry about and feel un, you know, unfulfilled and un, un, unexperienced and unvalued all the time. I mean, job searching is a morale crushing process, even when you're good at it, right? But that process doesn't work. Meanwhile, we've built massive enterprise systems that are there to attract and select and collect talent based on the idea that the hiring manager is smart and wise and good, and, but the candidate is always hiding something, right? You, we, we look at a resume or a CV and we question it like an Agatha Christie screenplay, looking for a murder weapon with a motive, right? The interview room should just have a bare light bulb dangling from the ceiling and be done with it. That's just how we approach it. We own the job. We are good people. We are wise. We are a business. You are a lowly candidate begging for a job. And guess what? 
No one wants to beg. Certainly not good talent. The entire process defines the term adversarial. I mean, you know, when the hiring manager selects the candidate, we're all supposed to let bygones be bygones after this whole kind of eye pointing at your resume saying, hey, it says here you speak Spanish. You really speak Spanish. Or, hey, it says here that three years ago you built this product. Was it just you or was it four other people? Did you just really help them do those things? But the candidate's looking at your job posting saying, hey, wait, 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 wait. It says in all other duties as assigned. What exactly do you mean by this? Oh, that's just a catch-all space for whatever we fucking decide we want to say to you later on, right? Um, it's too people who are lying to each other in the entire process and we're accusing each other of being liars in the whole process and at the end of it we're just going to hug and say join the family it makes no sense right how is that process going to help these two people evolve into trust and commitment to do teamwork stuff to build something good it sounds too crazy but that's exactly how every company in every country does the hiring process it's brutal and this only gets really, really obvious when you realize how incredibly powerful the demand for talent is becoming. We need talent. We need people. We are desperate to put people in these roles, but the supply is not there. Well, I'm going to go ahead and say for a second that maybe that's not true. There's a idea that, you know, hey, recruiters always complain, hey, there's nobody out there who, who can do this job. That's not actually true. What's true is that there's talent out there. They just don't want to talk to recruiters. Why? Well, Gosh, see all that stuff I just said. So when we say all this, we say it on the assumption that the power shift is an aberration, right? That suddenly this whole great resignation is a, is a short-lived thing like, like bell bottoms or K-pop, right? That one day we'll all see the light that, oh, we're gonna, oh, Koreans who do singing and dancing, that's crazy. Why would we ever be into such a thing? Let's get back to rock and roll or whatever or hip hop, right? It's not an aberration, I think in a, long, in a lot of ways, the aberration is what we saw before where the companies had all the power. Right now, the talent should have all the power. And I don't think that's swinging back to quote unquote normal anytime soon, right? The fastest way to shift your thinking is stop thinking of these candidates as you know candidates, but think of them as volunteers. They're there because they choose to be. Every morning, your best talent volunteers to show up. They volunteer to give their effort and attention. They volunteer to care about the task in front of them. They have choices, and they have more choices than you would even want to know about. They can choose to work for you. They can choose to not work. They can choose to work for somebody else. And by the way, recruiters call them left, right, and center because they're good at what they do. They have choices pushed in front of them every day. Treating these people like they're somehow beholden to you for a paycheck or insurance is asking for heartbreak. Seeing them as volunteers forces recruiters and managers to flip the entire recruiting script from having the best bait to, well, blah. Seeing these people as volunteers forces recruiters and managers to flip the whole process, right? It's not about I have something that's good for you. It's about I want to give you something that you value, right? It's how we should be communicating why they should choose to volunteer for you, right? People don't volunteer at places they don't care about. You know, if you go to a school or a pet shelter or a soup kitchen or a, a donation center or people stand on the sidewalk, you know, asking you to talk about gay rights or save the whales or whatever they care about, they're not doing it because they couldn't think of anything else to do, right? They're doing it because they care about that thing. 
And they probably have a really, really good and sometimes very well articulated reason why they're there. They chose to show up and take, do this task to label, you know, to ladle food into, to, in front of homeless people to give them food and sustenance to help them live. They're there standing in the cold on the corner asking you about gay rights because they care about gay people. They care about people. They made a choice. No one wakes up wanting to work at a place they hate. Okay? And let me just kind of double underline that one. No one wakes up saying, I can't wait to work at this company I hate. I can't wait to feel unengaged. I can't wait to make other people feel bad. People don't wake up that way. They want to go to a place where they like their job. They want to go to the place where they engage with people and they engage with the tasks. But the statistics are insane, right? More people aren't engaged in the work than are. And so if they didn't wake up that way, how did they get that way? Well, uh, the business made them that way. Yeah, I just accused you of creating the problem of employee engagement. So go ahead, you know, yell at me later. So if you don't adopt this mindset of treating staff as volunteers, you're never going to be able to attract the people you really care about, the people you really want to engage with. That's really what it's about, is understanding and treating these people as volunteers. They choose to work for you. Hey, look, I came up with a title. Talent chooses you. Hey, clever of me. Um, that's what it's all about. That is the fundamental shift in the last 10 years. Talent doesn't have to work anywhere. They choose to work for you. If you don't give them a reason to choose you, they won't. All right. That has been the first section. Hey, I think I did okay. That didn't feel totally horribly awkward all the time, the whole time. Anyway, uh, thanks so much again to uh, recruitmentmarketing.com for, for sponsoring this whole thing, this whole project. Super pumped for them to, uh, uh, super, super pumped to be a part of that process. And I hope you go take a look at recruitmentmarketing.com. Take a look at the community over there. Um, otherwise, I will see you next week, in which case we are going to talk about hiring as a game of quality, not quantity. See you next week. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.